Welcome to the Every Nation Taipei podcast. We're here to help you know God, discover your purpose, grow in your relationships, and make a difference in Taipei, Taiwan, and beyond. We hope this message encourages you today. All right, can you guys remember a time when you were excitedly expecting something? You were looking forward to something. It may have been something that your parents had told you or your teachers had told you or that you had been promised or that you thought was going to come your way. Um, for me, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell this first. Uh, I don't know if my dad or my brother will ever see this, but it's one of Rhonda's favorite memories of my dad and brother when she had first got to know them. My brother was part of this band. And none of us really knew what, we knew it was like this hard rock band thing kind of thing, but we didn't know exactly what kind it was. And he was having his first ever concert. It was going to be outdoors. We'd heard all these people were going to be there at it. And so my dad showed up as well. The whole family came. My mom's there. My dad's there. Stepmom's there. Uh, me and my sister, Rhonda's there. And, and there's like a few hundred people there at this outside place in my little bitty hometown. And my brother gets up and he's the lead singer. And I'm not knocking this kind of music, but it was the kind of like, like, where it's just this guttural roar, and you can't understand a single word that's coming out of his mouth at all. And we were all like, whoa, this is intense. Like, we had to stand way back. But there's like this whole mosh put up front, and people are just like, just going crazy. And um, then, like, halfway through it, my dad turns over and goes, I don't know what I expected, but this was not it. <laughs> and it was hilarious. And my brother did a good job. Corey, if, you're, if you ever watch this, you did a great job. Um, we just couldn't understand you and didn't know what to expect. But um, yeah, that, that's one of our favorite stories about, about expectation. But even like a, an example that I thought of as I was preparing for this was, we've got some really good friends uh, of mine from college days who work at Disney World. And so whenever we're back, if we're ever in that Florida area, uh, they, they let us know. They always message us, hey, if you guys want to come to Disney, like, come on. We got you free tickets. You can stay with us. Like, we can go to all the parks. We'll go with you. We'll show you where to be where and everything. And it's a pretty good deal, right? I don't know if anybody here has been to Disney, but it's stinking ex expensive and, and crazy. And so to have friends who are like, yep. We are, like, we'd like to invite you to come, and we're going to take care of this. Uh, well, they just have it for free. So that was one of the places that we told the girls, hey, girls, we're going to be going to Disney World. And they were just like, yes, awesome. And we go there, and for the kids, everything, like, just blew their mind. It was above and beyond their expectations. They loved everything about it. That's an example of a positive experience with expectation. Now, I didn't pull a video because honestly, they're kind of it's kind of sad and depressing and and mean whenever I actually went and looked at these. But have you guys ever seen maybe you're a parent who has kids or maybe you've seen like online some of the times they have like these bad Christmas present challenges or like Halloween candy things where they'll like take away all the kids' Halloween candy, or they'll give them this terrible present, or they'll like give them like a, an Xbox or a PS4 or 5 or whatever there is. It'll be the box, and the kid's been wanting it, and they're like, oh my gosh, a PS5, and they're ripping it open, and then they open the box, and they're like, what? 
there's nothing in here. And then a lot of times, I don't know if you guys have seen this or not, but I'm going to demonstrate it for you. If you don't have kids, this happens um, sometimes. But it's like, oh, man. And it's just madness. Any of you parents feel me on that? It, It happens sometimes, right? Never thought I'd throw myself violently on the floor. I do remember how to do it, though. I, I'm sure I did it when I was a young kid, and my parents would be like, amen. Um, but a lot of times, when our expectations aren't met, whether we want to admit it or not, we might not fling ourselves on the ground like I just did, or like our kids do sometimes. We might not flail around. <laughs> like, but internally, a lot of times, we might be like, what the heck? You know, like, what's going on? This is what I thought was going to happen. This is what I expected from this person or from this situation. And then it doesn't happen the way that I wanted it to. Um, So today, we're going to look at Palm Sunday. Uh, As Bertina mentioned, and actually Bertina kind of covered my whole... uh, And in in the pregame, if you will, she kind of covered my whole first little section. So I'm just going to... Uh, just touch on that uh, briefly, but um, before we get into that, let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much for your love, for your goodness, and for your kindness. I thank you that in you there is fullness of joy. I thank you that in you we have victory over sin, over death, over the evil forces that work in this world that are in opposition to us and to you and your plan. I thank you that you have already won and are victorious over all of that. I thank you that we can gather here today um, to just celebrate who you are. Help us to see you for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Uh, Bertina read, uh, and real quick, this Palm Sunday triumphal entry passage is one of the few passages that it's actually in all four of the Gospels. Uh, Bertina read earlier from from Matthew's account of it. Uh, Mark has an account. John has an account as well. They're all very similar. Each of them has their own little differences to the story, but today we're going to look at it in Luke 19. So Luke 19, verse 11, it says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, they had this expectation that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately, was what their expectation was. See, a lot of these people, this is not long after, just probably a few weeks after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus had been, he had been living his life, he had been doing his ministry, he had been doing a lot of it in kind of in secret, you know, like he would go up to people and he would, he would heal them or he would uh, he would provide food for them. If you remember, there's a couple accounts where Jesus fed multitudes with just five pieces of bread and two fish, right? Jesus had done all of these amazing things. He had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. He had fed multitudes. He had even just recently brought somebody back from the dead who had been dead and in the tomb for four days, who should have already been stinking, right? Like he had done all of this stuff. And so there is this expectation. Words started getting, getting around about this Jesus guy. And Bertina it, just read it in Matthew. It said, whenever he came in, the crowds were, the, the other people who were in Jerusalem, because everybody's starting to congregate in Jerusalem now, because 
it is the Passover week and everybody's getting prepared to, to do the, celebrate the Passover together. There's all these people and Jesus shows up and this huge, all this stuff's going on. And these guys are like, wait, who's this? What's going on? And so Jesus had been doing all of these things. He had been setting the stage. Like if we just take a step back for a minute and think about like what kind of military leader would, would I like to follow? Who, whose command would I like to be a part of? It would be somebody who, if I got stabbed, he could heal it, right? If I'm on a large trek across countries and across just days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks with no, with, with difficulty finding food or water, well, he can just create it, right? Like, give me a piece of bread and a fish, and I've got 2,000 of you covered, you know? Like with just a tiny little bit, he can do all of these things, right? And also not just if I get stabbed, he can heal it. If my head gets chopped off, he can put it back together and bring me back to life, right? Jesus is like the ultimate military commander leader, right? I mean, he's been showing everything that he's been done and everything that he's been doing has been like in their minds, and Bertina alluded to this earlier, in their minds has been like, oh my gosh, is this the guy? Is this the guy we've been waiting for to set us free, to get us out from under Roman rule? Is this the guy? Is this the guy? And he's just brought Lazarus back from the dead. There's this expectation that, that is there. Um, and they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And they're not far off. Um, so we're going to read real quick uh, from verses 28 to 48. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big chunk. Uh, but we're going to do that real quick together, and then we'll go back and unpack it, okay? Um, all right, let's, I'll do it from the screen to make sure we're in the same version. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When it's talking about these things, he had just taught them a parable. We won't get into the parable. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olives, or the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. When on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went, who, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So we just talked about the expectation that was there, right? Now we're going to look at the beginning of that passage, that triumphal entry is what we call it. Now, why is it called a triumphal entry? Because back in the days of ancient Rome, when the emperors or the generals or the different military leaders, when they would go out to conquer and to subdue other nations and other peoples to their authority and to be a part of their kingdom, when they would come back, they would come back triumphantly and they would have these celebratory parades Sometimes that would last days upon days upon days, and they would just slowly make their way through the city. And the general or the emperor, he would be sitting in this huge, immaculately clad gold chariot pulled by four majestic horses walking in front slowly so that everybody can see what he had done, what he had led. And a lot of times they would take the POWs, the people that they had captured, and they would walk through first, chained up, hands and arms chained up, walking through, and that general would come behind them, head held high in that golden chariot for everyone to celebrate and to stand in awe of who this guy was and what he had done for Rome, what he had done for their country. See, that was kind of the norm back then. This is something that happened on many, 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 many occasions amongst within the Roman Empire. So they would come through in these immaculate things. It, it was the kind of entry that you would think was fit for a king. It was for the approval of man and to show off how powerful he was. And, and also, it was kind of like a little reminder of, don't mess with me. Don't mess with me and the authority that I have. And they would have this mindset of like, especially back then, that that emperor, that that leader was like, kind of a, a semi-God kind of thing. Like they had gods that they, that they submitted to in worship, but they also carried this air about them like that they were God-like as well. You juxtapose that with Jesus's entry, Bertina mentioned it earlier, on a donkey. Have any of you seen a donkey before? If you have, raise your hand, please. Everybody's seen a donkey. Has anybody ever seen a donkey with a horse? It's a stark contrast. Like, it's a, it, I'm, I'm from small town Arkansas in the U.S., and we have a lot of horses and a lot of donkeys. And donkeys are just, they're just there. <laughs> like, you kind of, you can put them to work, and, and they're, they're pretty good at working, but they don't listen to you. They do things on their, kind of on their time. You know, like, you can try to lead it, and it'll just stand there, and it'll let you like rip its head off before it will move if it doesn't want to move. They're just obnoxious, annoying creatures. Contrast that with this majestic horse who's been trained, who knows who, you know, they stand up tall. Their heads are high. They just look majestic, right? Like horses just look different. They're built different. And you have a, just contrasting those two things, this majestic horse and this little... <laughs> donkey that's stubborn it's got its ears that are flowing out this weird tail like it's just awkward but that's how jesus because of a prophecy from zechariah uh 9 9 can we pull that up real quick 
There's a prophecy in the Old Testament. If we don't have it there, I've got it here. Okay, I'll read it here. From Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus shows up on a donkey. He shows up to fulfill this prophecy. This is how he's entering. And this is the sign that your king is coming. And all the Jews knew this. All of the Jews knew what to expect. They all knew this verse. They all knew this passage. They knew this promise. And all of a sudden, this guy who's been healing the sick, who's been casting out demons, who's been feeding the multitudes, who has been raising people, bringing back people from the dead, all of a sudden, he comes rolling in on a donkey, right? And it's this, it's this entry into Jerusalem. And so they're fired up in that same passage, Psalm 118 that Bertina had us read together earlier, that same passage that they all knew. They would sing this, they would recite this all the time. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's on all of their minds. And all of a sudden they see this guy coming in who's been doing all these things. He's on a donkey. Like, let's get the, let, let's, it's time. It's time. Like they're all ready. They're all fired up. They all have this expectation of what's about to happen. See, up until this point, Jesus hadn't done much in front of like tons of people. And the things he had done in front of, because if you'll remember looking back at Jesus' life, a lot of times when he'd heal somebody, he'd say, go ahead, go on and don't tell anybody about this, okay? Go and don't tell anybody about this. Occasionally he'd say, you can go and share it with your friends or go and show the high priest or the, or the Pharisees. Go show them what's, what's happened, but shh, just keep this between you and me. But now the time has come and Jesus is like, Who's running my IG live? Like, you know, now it's time to broadcast who it is. And I believe, honestly, I believe that one of the reasons for this is he knew that it was the time. Satan had been, in fact, the, the very name Satan means adversary. Satan had been like looking and trying to create all these problems for Jesus through his whole ministry. And Jesus just kept trumping him, trumping him, trumping him, trumping him in silence, in silence. But Jesus knew that he had to die, right? And so he's coming in now and he's like, all right, here we are. And so he kind of, in doing this, he forces the devil's hand. He forces the devil to show his cards at this point. And he makes it possible for him to do so. So there's like this storm brewing, right? Like this entry into Jerusalem, there's this storm brewing Light and darkness, good and evil. Like it's starting to come to a head. People are starting to get fired up. But he comes in on a donkey. To the Romans, this would have been laughable. They'd be like, this is your king? <laughs> All right. Good luck with that. Because what they're used to is these guys coming in, like I said, on these huge, massive gold chariots with these majestic stallions. Your guys coming in on donkey? All right, you do you, guys. You do you. Um, but I will tell you this. Even though Jesus, and we're going to do a little sidestep right quick. Sorry, my beard got caught in that. That felt. Um, there will be a day that even though Jesus entered this time 
in his triumphal entry, in his victorious entry, even though he came in on donkey, we see in Revelation that there is going to come a day where he's going to come on the white horse, right? He's going to come. Heaven's going to be opened up. He's going to be riding on a white horse to come in and to say, game over. Time's up. He's got tattoo on his leg, king of kings and lord of lords. He's riding on it. His name is faithful and true. And he's gonna, there is a day where he's going to ride in victoriously and everyone will know. Everyone will know. It's good stuff. So why palm branches? Why do we call this Palm Sunday? Why palm branches? Palm branches for a long time, for centuries, have been representative of victory, of prosperity, of, of, of winning, <laughs> of winning, really. Even back in the Old Testament, like um, in the doors of the temple and in the tabernacle, they would carve palm branches into this. It was a sign of victory where even when, when people competing as athletes, when they would win, they would be giving palm branches or have palm branch crowds. You've all seen the pictures of like the ancient uh, Romans and, and Greeks and stuff like that with the palm branches in their, in their heads and stuff like that. That's a sign of victory and of, of, uh, of success and of prosperity. And so it was totally normal. And whenever these guys would come in, when these emperors would come in, There'd be people that would be waving palm branches along the side, like showing that they are victorious. The palm branch was a, was a very positive image. And so when Jesus came in and they're waving palm branches, that's, that's one of the signs of like, this is a king. This guy is victorious. And there's this expectation of what he was going to do. And then even in Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, uh, when it's talking about Jesus, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So even in this, in this culmination, victorious scene when Jesus comes back and sets everything right, and we're all gathered around, all of us who have given our lives to him, when we're all gathered around with people over the centuries, when we're gathered around him, not only will we will we be clothed in white, but we'll also be waving palm branches in our hands, celebrating the victory that he won over, in, over, over the enemy and over evil. It's long been a sign of victory. One other thing I want to point out about this is the significance of the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. So this month is called, it's the month of Nisan, and... I don't know if I'm pronouncing that exactly right, but it's the month of Nisan. It's the first month uh, within the Jewish calendar. And on the 10th day, sorry, on the, on the 14th day, I believe it is, is when the Passover is held. So that's the day that they slay the lamb, that they put the blood on the doorposts and everything. On the 10th day is when everybody is to select the lamb. That's the day that they are to select the lamb that will then come into their home and they'll take care of it, and, and it will live with them 
for five days, and then on that fifth day is when they slaughter it, put the blood up as a sacrifice and as a memory. That day that everybody selects their lamb, that they, and they do this every single year, probably a lot of scholars believe that up to 250,000 lambs were going to be selected that day because it's not one per person, it's like one per household. Um, that, that potentially that day, 250,000 lambs were gonna be selected that day and we're gonna go to live in the home of these, of these people, of these Israelites who had come there just into Jerusalem. On that exact same day, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world enters Jerusalem. That's pretty incredible. It's not an accident. I can promise you that it's not an accident. Jesus knew what he was doing. The Father knew what he was doing. He knew what he had prepared. He knew what he had planned. And see, here's one of the things. The crowds, they just didn't get it. Like they could see, there were two things that were happening that day. Well, there's a lot that was happening that day. But there were two huge things that were happening that day. They only saw one of them. See, in their mind, Messiah King was the one who was going to come and set them, like with this military leader who was gonna come and was gonna set them free and just remove, just get Rome, the Romans completely out of their place. He was going to establish the kingdom of Israel and they were not gonna have to live as slaves anymore. They were not gonna have to live under anyone else's power anymore. They had this, like, this physical perception of it. Like, these people are living in my place. I need to be set free from this oppression that's here. And Jesus is coming in, and what they saw was this mighty victory over our enemies, the Romans. And that's what they were fired up about. But they totally missed the fact that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was entering on that Passover day. The day that all of the lambs were to be selected, the Lamb who once for all, it would no longer be needed. All the other lambs would no longer be needed. They could live their happy lives running around in the field from that day forward, not have to be worried about being picked. They could, on that exact same day, the Lamb of God who once for all takes away the sin of the world, he entered. And he was selected from before the foundation of the world by the creator of all, by God the Father, to be the lamb, to be our sacrifice, to be my sacrifice, to be your sacrifice. He entered and was selected to be the sacrifice to set us all free. See, they just saw this one exciting, yes, we're going to be set free. We're going to rule over these guys. Oh, I know who I'm going to kick out. This guy over here who's been harassing me whenever I do this, or this guy over here, oh, you just wait till we're in charge. Like that was their mindset. But then Jesus, he comes in. That's everybody's perception, but they miss the fact that he came in in humility. One of the reasons he came in was with humility. See, Jesus wasn't just about, he, he the government's, the, the people oppressors, I say people oppress. it sounds weird saying it, but the people oppressors versus the evil spirit oppressors, like the people oppressors, he wasn't, he wasn't about their destruction. He was about their salvation. They were created to know him. They were created for a purpose. They were created as his sons and his daughters. He wasn't about, the father wasn't about their destruction. He was about their salvation. That's what Jesus was there for. 
See, the crowds wanted Jesus to do what they thought he should do. Um, we'll keep going forward a little bit, and we'll come back to that. Um, so as all this is happening, as people are shouting, as, as Jesus is going through the streets, and people are shouting, the Pharisees, they're like, all right, what's going on? And they come over there, and they're like, are you kidding me, Jesus? You're going to let this happen? Like, they're irate. Because they know, they know even more so what these verses mean. These verses are for the Messiah. And if you guys can remember, the Pharisees don't care for Jesus much. Like, they, they've committed pretty much their lives to bringing him down. And now all of a sudden, these people are walking in, and they're making these cries and laying out palm branches, and they're taking their coats off, and they're putting them on the, on the ground so that this donkey can walk across it because it's carrying Jesus, this guy that they hate, that they can't stand. He's, he's coming in. They're shouting all of these praises, all of these prophetic verses, and the Pharisees are like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Are you going to let this happen? And Jesus' response, I love it. He's like, man, if they stop, the rocks are going to cry out. Even the earth knew. Jesus knew that even the earth knew what was going on. Even the earth knew the man, the one who was there at the beginning, at the foundation of the world when they were created, they knew what was taking place. Praise had to come from somewhere. I would rather it be for me than allowing rocks to do it, right? I don't want to miss out on that boat, right? love Jesus' response. He's like, man, if they stop, the rocks are going to do it. Take your pick. So good. Do y'all remember that song, old kid song? Maybe some of you don't know it, but that, ain't no rock gonna cry in my place. So you might know it. As long as I'm alive, I glorify his holy name. If you know it, sing with me. Ain't no rock gonna cry in my place. As long as I'm alive, I glorify his holy name. All right, we'll stop there. Um, but I do love that song, and that, that's how I want my life to be. I don't want to allow rocks or anybody else to, to cry out and to give praise to Jesus, to give praise to the Father, because I'm not doing it. I want to be connected. I want to see him and praise him for who he is. Moving on, Jesus, um, as he gets into the city, he weeps over Jerusalem. And this isn't like little sniffles. You know, this is like the weeping that's described here is like the ugly crying, like the snot and the big convulsions and all of that. And I can remember a handful of times in my life, and I won't go into these stories because for time's sake, but I can remember certain times in my life, you know, I... At one point, I could probably count on one hand how many times I had cried in my life. Like, honestly. I just felt like I'm a, I'm a dude. I need to be tough. Can't hurt me. You know, like growing up, I was like, even if something like hurt real bad or, you know, something bad took place, I'd still be like. And there was no way I was going to let. I, I thought it was like weakness seeping out of my body, you know from my eyes. I was like, there's no way I'm letting that happen, right? Uh, but then 
you know, as I've, as I've grown, and it actually, it really happened when I had, when we had our first daughter, I was like, what is this? What are these things coming out of my mouth and out of my eyes? Um, I just felt things differently than I'd ever felt before. But even still, I thought it was kind of like weakness, you know? Um, but whenever I look at scripture and the more I've got, the more I've grown, the more I've gotten older, Bertina and I have talked about this um, because she is kind of fa- famous for when she gets up here and preaches, we got to have a tissue box up here for her, right? Um, she could be talking about the joy of the Lord and she needs tissues. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but we've, t- <laughs> that's accurate, she said. Um, but we, she, we've talked about this before and had this discussion and one of the things that I've really learned over the years is that, yeah, there might be some, there, there, there is some crying where it's just like, okay, grow up, you know. But then there's some crying and weeping that it comes from such a deep place, such a place of power and, uh, and compassion and love that honestly, I view it as like war paint. Like be, you can see somebody who is like, we, I have this for, for my kids, I have this for, for friends and people that I've known over the years, where I can just see so clearly the Father's love for them. And so clearly how it is that Jesus sees them and they can't see it. And sometimes it's just the only thing that can come out is tears. Like that's all that comes out. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. Like view, I view that as war paint, like, all right, devil, you poke the bear, you know, like you, you poke the bear and we're going to war and it's not war at that person. It's war for that person, right? Or for those people or for that situation. And so Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, he was weeping because he knew what was coming. He had so much love and compassion for the people there. And for that place, God's holy city, he had so much love and desire for it. And they couldn't see it. They did not know. They were blinded to what was going on. And he just, all he could do was weep over it because of the love that he had for it. Moving on, because I don't want to run out of time. Well, I want to say also, um, you know, a lot of people in a, in a lot of paintings and stuff, a lot of famous paintings and things over the, over the centuries, you see Jesus is kind of like puny, frail, like guy, like how did he even make it from that city to that city? Like he looks like an anorexic who can't, you know, like how's he even holding that lamb over his shoulders? Like, and, and I'm not making fun of Jesus. I'm not at all. But that's how a lot of times he's portrayed as this scrawny little, scrawny little guy. He was there. I haven't seen him personally, but I promise you there was nothing scrawny about the guy about the man, about Jesus. He walked everywhere he went. He was a carpenter. He knew how to work with his hands. He knew how to build things. He, there was nothing scrawny about him. And, and meekness is not weakness. This is important to know. Meekness is not weakness. So Jesus coming and Jesus submitting himself to what he submitted himself to. When a lot of people were like, the Pharisees were like, hey, if you could do this, why can't you do this? If you could heal these people, why can't you? If you could save these people, why can't you save yourselves? And the Bible even tells us that he could have. He could have just said the word and legions of angels would have been there fighting for him 
and serving him. He wouldn't have even had to lift a finger if he just said the word. And see, that's, that's something that I feel like, and, and I didn't plan on talking about this, but I'm going to talk about this. Y'all okay? All right, that's something that I'm really passionate about amongst the church community, amongst believers in Jesus, is a lot of times we don't stand up for what's right. Or when we do, we do it in such an such a adversarial way that it's like, well, no wonder nobody wants to like be a Christian. But like, we just feel like, oh, I'm just weak little me. I'm just going to sit over here and I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to pray my prayer and I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm going to do this and this and this. And we just kind of stay in our own little circle of what's safe. And honestly, like we have a weak mindset. When Jesus has empowered us and given us all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth, all authority that he took, he's given it to us. And he told us to go, right? He told us to go and to make disciples. He told Joshua to go and possess the land. And he says the same thing to us, for us to go and possess the land, for us to go and carry the kingdom into the lives of everyone, every place that we are, everywhere. And we need to just stand up. We need to stand up and we need to realize that being weak is, is not for us. But being meek is different than being weak. When you're, when you're meek, it's like, it's like if I trained in, well, like, let's just say it like this. You all, well, most of you know, because I've talked about it before. My, my best friend growing up is a Navy SEAL, right? Like he's taught, he's, he's been in the SEAL teams for 25 years and still an active SEAL. He's been trained over 25 years of how to inflict serious harm on people, Right? But when he and I are together and we go out, he's not walking around like, hey, that's mine, give it to me. Or like, hey, back off. You know, he's not walking around like a bully. But whenever he en encounters a situation, he can just go up calmly. This has happened a lot, and I've been with him when this has happened. He can just go up calmly and say, hey, that's not okay. Uh, leave, leave that person alone. Da, da, da. He doesn't walk up and just immediately deck the guy. Or, you know, that kind of deal. But he walks up because he, know, he knows what he's capable of. But everybody else doesn't have to know that he's capable of that. All he has, all he has to do is know it. Like, and so that's meekness, is knowing, is being able to inflict harm, is being able to do what Jesus could have done, snapped his finger in this, but not doing it because it's not what's best for the situation. Does that make sense? And I feel like a lot of times that we mistake meekness for weakness. What we need to know is that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if you're in Jesus, that power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and is at work within you. The Bible says that, and it's either true or it's not. So you can either believe it or not believe it, but that's what God said. And if we can have that mentality, if we can have that mindset and realize the one who is alive and at work within us, then we can see so much more happen in our lives and in the lives of the people around us and the people that we love and our homes and our schools 
in our places of business, on our teams, wherever it is, in our communities, wherever it is, we can see so much more happen. We can see his kingdom come. We can see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And so I just want to encourage you guys. Amen? Are y'all hearing me? All right. I just want to encourage y'all, like, that power, that power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and is at work within you. And I want to challenge you. Again, this is not my notes at all. But I want to challenge you to believe that and to move and act on that. Okay? And it's not in your own power. It's the power that raised him from the dead, right? It's us agreeing with that and coming in line with that and partnering with that. That's how it gets done. That's how it happens. And then Jesus comes and then he gets angry. After that, he enters the temple. He sees all the tables there, the people that are selling things to be, to be sacrificed and all of this stuff. And Jesus gets ticked off. A lot of times we think as Christians, it's not okay to be angry. And sometimes it's not okay. Sometimes if it's like, just last week, I'll tell you my, um, like this is a, a replaced iPad because last week, I won't say a name because I don't want to incriminate anyone, but one of my children incorrectly picked up my work life computer and dropped it and the whole thing just shattered. And immediately she just, <laughs> weeping, what we saw, weeping and she's like, uh, run away from the situation as fast as you can. So she just weeps and takes off running up the stairs and I sit down and I was like, come here, come here. And she comes down and I was like, hey, come here. I want to I wanna talk to you. She comes and sits down. She's just weeping and I'm like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> that's your computer and everything you do on there from your work stuff and one body and your consulting and with the kinks and then our whole family stuff. <laughs> and just like tears weeping. And I'm sitting there and I'm just holding her. And I said, hey, it's okay. It's just an iPad. It's an expensive iPad. But it's just an iPad. I didn't say that. But it's just an iPad. I said, what's more important? You're the iPad. <laughs> Me. Okay. Now, what, what how have we talked before about how you're supposed to walk with it? I'm supposed to close it. Yep. You carry it with you guys? Yeah. Okay. That's why. It's an expensive lesson, but it was a lesson. And I now have a new one, and we're good. Um, but Jesus didn't come in with that. Like, I could have chosen in that moment to be angry of like, how dare you? I told you to not do this. You're not supposed to carry it like this. And I could have just erupted on her, right? Like, I could have done that. And there are probably times, actually, there, there are times where I just, I can get so frustrated where I'm just like, would you listen? And I will yell. And, and it's not always the right thing to do. Now, if they're in danger of something yelling, that's appropriate. But when it's just, it's me getting frustrated, then it's not appropriate. But Jesus in this situation, he steps in and he gets frustrated. He's frustrated and he's angry at what's taking place. See, Jesus didn't come in frustrated and angry at the Romans. He didn't walk into Jerusalem and start getting onto the Romans for what was going on. He came into Jerusalem and he was frustrated with his people in the temple. The people who were supposed to be bringing people closer to God, 
they were taking advantage of the people who were coming in. And this wasn't his first time to do it. If you remember when Jesus started his ministry, he started at flipping tables. I considered today, in addition to falling on the ground, having a table set up here with a bunch of stuff on it and going and flipping it for effect. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It'll wake you up and make you nervous. It'll give you butterflies immediately, whether you know it's like coming or not. Like it's loud. It's a, it's a violent act. A whole table flips over with everything on it. It'll wake you up. It'll get your attention. He had already done it once. He's not there for a long time. Next guy shows up. Next guy shows up. Before you long, everybody's back in taking advantage of people again, which is not what they're supposed to be doing. And that's what Jesus comes in and he gets upset about. See, a lot of times, you know, in this day and age, our culture, we look at, especially I'm from the U.S., and the U.S. right now is a dumpster fire, in all honesty. Like, it's just what's going on there, but even all around the world, it's just crazy what's going on everywhere. But right now, a lot of people, Christians as well, like, we'll look at and we'll say, oh, it's the government's this. It's these policies. It's these people. It's these leaders. It's this. It's blah, 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 blah. And we put all of these things on outside. But what Jesus looks at is he looks at his people. He expects change to come from his people. He knows what the enemy's like. He knows what the enemy's desire is. Like, I can't, as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, I can't expect people who don't follow him to follow his rules, to live in obedience to him. It's not gonna happen. It's just not. But Jesus expects, just like I talked about a minute ago, he expects that I will carry his kingdom, his power, his authority, his rule, his love. He expects that I will carry that into the lives of the people around me. And honestly, real talk, guys, if we did that, if we were just obedient to what we already knew, man, our families, our schools, our places of business, our communities, they would be different. The problem is, I mean, I was this way growing up. I just thought my job was to get somebody to go to church or to get somebody to join a Bible study or something like that. And those are good things. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me saying, don't bring your friends to church or don't have your friends join a Bible study. I am not saying that. But I thought that that was my job. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do because these are the professionals. No, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. If we're followers of Jesus, we have been commissioned to take his kingdom, his love, and to give it to and empower the people that he's given us in our lives. He's given us his kingdom to where every place we put our feet, it's been given to us if we'll actually act it out and live on it and believe it. Jesus looks to his people. I'm gonna close with this. In looking at, going back a little bit into the, to the meat of, the, of this passage, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. The crowds have this huge expectation. We just talked about that. They expected the military conquering. That's what they were expecting, and they were so fired up about it. They missed that he was the lamb and was going to be sacrificed, even his own disciples. He told them incredibly clearly on three separate occasions, I'm going to die. <laughs> they are going to crucify me. 
and they were like, okay, great. Now, when are we going to do this? And da, 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 da. Like they even had it in their minds after walking with him for three years, they still had it in their mind. He's going to be this military conqueror because they had already confessed him to be the Messiah. And they only had this concept of the Messiah. Even though Jesus told them in plain language, I'm going to die. Even they missed it because their expectation was something bigger. You know, what's, what's pretty sobering is that these crowd, these same crowds that as Jesus was entering, who were shouting, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're so excited. These same crowds are the same ones who five days later were shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. It's the same people. Some of them may have been new. Some of them may have been different, but a lot of them were the same. Because he didn't live up to their expectations. You know, we have this cancel culture in the world today where you can be like on top of the world, everybody's favorite, everybody loves you because you're a great singer, you're a great musician, you're a great philanthropist, you're a great whatever. Influencer, I still don't understand that, but you know, you can you can be in these in these places where everybody loves you, but then you say or do one wrong thing. Canceled. Canceled. Jesus is like the OG canceled person. Or however you say that. I don't know. Jesus is like the OG. This is like the first big cancel. As he's walking in. The Jews, all of all of Israel's like, he's here. Yeah. Wait, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. He's not our king. Because Jesus came for something different. He didn't come to hand the to, to wipe out the Romans. He came to wipe out the forces of evil who have held the minds, the souls, the hearts of God's creation of his sons and daughters in captivity, who have blinded their eyes, who have kept them separated, not them and their, and their sin have kept them separated from his kingdom, from his home, from his family, from his embrace. And Jesus came to not establish a new physical kingdom on the earth. He came to establish the kingdom of heaven. So while their expectation was the kingdom of heaven was about to come immediately, their perception of what the kingdom of heaven was was very different than what the kingdom of heaven actually is. And I don't know if you've ever in your own life experienced that kind of letdown or that kind of frustration where you know, it could be with God directly where you had this expectation of, of, I know this or I'm a Christian, so aren't things supposed to be this way for me? Um, the promise is that he will never leave you or forsake you. The promise is that he has made his home within you, that he has made his home within me. There's a lot of things that I'm not gonna understand in life. You know, there's a lot of things that I do for my kids where I'm like, hey, 
No. Well, I'm going to share this with, about Rhonda. Rhonda did this the other day. Have you guys, um, you know, now they have those, uh, <laughs> she doesn't know what I'm going to say. You know, now they have those, uh, you know, like those lighters, regular lighters, like Zippos or whatever you can get from the 7-Eleven store, right? Like where you flick it, the flint, and then the little flame comes up, right? Well, now, I don't know if you know this, but now they have these electric lighters that you just plug in with like a USB cord and it, it gives it energy and then you flip it over and you push the button and it's like a little electric current that goes across. Have y'all seen those? They're pretty amazing, actually. They're, they're fantastic. Um, but Rhonda... The other day, had I been there, I would have told her, don't touch that. Uh, it's electricity. Um, but she was thinking, there's not a flame, so you can just touch it. And so she's like, oh, it's great. It's super safe. You can touch it. <laughs> like, and my friends were telling me about it, and it was great. But a lot of times we do that with our kids as well. You know, we're like, hey, don't touch that. Because it, like, why not? Well, because it's hot and it'll burn you. And they have no concept of what that is, you know? They have no concept of what that means. And sometimes you have to let, like, at the playground even, like, sometimes I'll just tell my, like, when, especially when they were younger, like, tell them as they're climbing on the outside, hey, be careful, you're going to get pretty high. You fall, you're going to hurt yourself. And they keep going. And I just let them, you know, because then they'll learn, like, one, it helps them, like, you know, grow more and be, be more, uh, I know here in Taiwan, like we would have the IEs, like, <laughs> like when our kids are playing, they'd be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you letting this kid climb? And we're like, oh, they're okay. They'll learn. And they're like, what? And like, we'd be sitting over on the bench watching them and we've got our IEs and the Amaz and, you know, Nine Eyes and they're over there, like under our kids, like waiting or like their bat hand on their back. And I'm like, they're okay. And they're like, they're looking at us like we're crazy. But a lot of times you do need to let kids like, take those steps and have those falls so that they can learn. But sometimes you don't like, I'm not going to give my two-year-old a lighter and say, hey, go learn what this does. You know, I'm not going to do that because it's not what's best for her. And she doesn't understand it at the time, but one day she will. And it's the same thing for us, no matter how, how old we are, no matter how long we've been in Jesus, it's the same thing for us. He's God and we're not. He's God and I'm not. He knows what's best for me. He knows what's going on. I don't always know that. And so I can either say, well, you didn't meet my expectations, so I'm done. Like, I can do that. That would be pretty childish. It would be like me flailing around on the floor. You know, or I can say, this is what I expected, Lord. And it's okay to be frustrated and upset and like, speak real with God, like, man, I, you know, and, and even cry and, and weep and all that's like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. But he knows what's best for us. And I don't want my challenge to you, my challenge to myself in reading this passage today is that we would not be people who have our expectations so much so over here that we miss out on what God's doing. I don't want us to be the same people who are like the people in the crowds who, because this is their expectation, you know, one day we're saying, yes, Lord, and we're praising his name. We're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now, Hosanna. We praise you. And then the next day we're crucify him. Crucify him. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times that can happen because we get things so locked in 
about this is what I want or this is what I think that we miss out on what he's doing. And my encouragement to you guys and gals this morning is that let's not be those, let's not be those people. Let's be people who no matter what, we're following our king. We're following in his footsteps. We're following as he leads. And we're carrying that kingdom. We're carrying that power. We're carrying that authority. We're carrying that love into the lives of everyone that we encounter. Amen. Abba Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your presence. Thank you that you are not only the king of all kings, that you are not only the Lord of all lords, but that you are also the savior of our souls, that you are also the one who pursues us, who loves us. I thank you that you are the lamb that was slain for my sins, that you are the lamb that was slain for the sins of everyone in here, that you are the one who not just died for us, but that you rose again for us. I thank you that you conquered death. I thank you that you have established your kingdom. And I thank you that we who are in Jesus can say that we are a part of your kingdom. If there's anyone here today that does not know you yet, in this way, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Pray that today would be the day that eyes are open to see who you are for us, who you are for them personally. And for those of us who have been in Jesus for maybe a long time or just recently, I pray that you would open our eyes as well to see more clearly who we are, more clearly what it is that you have done for us, who it is that you are for us, how it is that you're at work in our lives. Father, may we be people who even when we don't understand, that we have leaned into your peace that passes all understanding. That we trust you no matter what. Faith is faith or it isn't. And I choose the faith. We choose collectively to faith that you're with us, that you know what's best for us, that you are good all the time, we believe that it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that you, Jesus, came that we might have life more abundantly. Help us to see and to understand clearly what that is and what that means. And may we all grow closer and closer to you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray this message spoke to you and built your faith. For more messages like this, visit our website at everynationtaipei.com. You can also send a prayer request and reach out to us anytime. God bless you. Till next time.